Hey, Carl and Richard here. As you may have heard, NDC is back offering their incredible in-person conferences around the world, and we'd like to tell you about them. NDC Security Oslo is January 17th through the 20th. Go to ndc-security.com to register. NDC London will be January 23rd through the 27th. Go to ndc-london.com to register. NDC Copenhagen is March 14th through the 17th. Go to ndccopenhagen.com to register. NDC Porto is happening April 24th through the 28th. Early bird discount for NDC Porto ends February 1st. Go to NDC Porto to register. Check out the full lineup of conferences at ndcconferences.com. Hey, welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, this is unique because I'm looking across the booth at Mark Miller. I haven't seen you in the booth in a long time. I know. The booths were moved across the street from Pop Studios to the new home at the Guard Arts Center. So we're up in the attic. And, you know, we got a nice little sunlight, sunbeam coming in. That's nice. But yeah, just uh, trying to mess around with internet and Zencaster at the last minute, we got a little bit of a late start, so it might be a short show. So I That's won't, right. uh, I won't uh, d- delay anymore. Let's kick it off with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? All right, well, everybody knows James Montemagno, right? Sure. Yeah. So he has a great show called Merge Conflict, a podcast. And he did an episode uh, called Inside Hot Reload, which sort of goes into all the the hidden goo inside Hot Reload in in, uh, .NET 6 in Visual Studio 2022. Mm -hmm. So um, I know that, you know, there was some confusion about Hot Reload. Does it work? Where does it work? And all that stuff. And how does it work? So I think this is a really good uh, thing for people to listen to. We're going to put a link to it. This is episode 1768. So if you go to 1768.pwop.me, that'll take you to the episode of Merge Conflict. So who's talking to us, Richard? Hey, grabbed a comment off of uh, Mark's last show. That was 1450 from back in June of 2017. So four years ago. How did that happen? Right. Uh, and oddly enough, we were talking about the science of great design, right? Yeah. As, as he is prone to talking and always a great conversation. And uh, a bunch of comments. A few of these are a few years old, including this one from Chuck Miller. He says, I enjoyed listening to Mark as he applied definition and reasoning to UI design concepts that can sometimes be described as less rigorous, quote, common sense terms. Right. I've recently been using a tool I'd used for many years, years ago. Power Builder. Holy oh man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy man. That's right. And finding Power Builder's interface both familiar and awkward compared to Visual Studio. Awkward. Which, and let's be clear, <laughs> Visual Studio, and it, it was at Billy Hollis who said it's like a 747 cockpit in there, yeah, right? Like right. Everything's on it. Uh, it got me thinking about how I adapt to various user interfaces I use on a daily basis, which, again, interesting thought that we adapt to the interface. The interface isn't adapted to us. Mm-hmm. I have a new appreciation for Visual Studio, and you've also piqued my interest in the Code Rush tool. Code Rush? Who uses Code Rush? Yeah, right? Just so I can play with that parameter shifting feature. And I know that that brings me back to that show we did. We were talking about how when you shifted parameters, the comma would just drift at the right rate so that it got there as the two parameters landed. Right, reordering parameters, yeah. Yeah, that reordering parameters. Yeah, that was a, an awesome thing. Anyway, Chuck, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebook, because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, but make sure all the words are in the right order. <laughs> or at least the commas drift at the right rate when you change the order of the words. That's, That's right. the important part. That is. I just want to like reorder parameters over and over and over again, just like you know, to give myself some visual candy and Visual Studio. Well, the, I think that's what Chuck's talking about. It's not that he wants to improve his productivity <laughs> the Code Rush. He just wants the visual beauty that's of right. reordering parameters. Hey guys, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Let's, uh, All right, I've had enough abuse here. 
I'm done being quiet. First of all, Carl, it's great to be in the studio with you. Look at the present I got you right up here, buddy. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I don't know. I think I can see the video. I think those are just obscene gestures you're exchanging. No, you can't. Hold on. I'm going to bring up, lift up my laptop here so you can see. Oh, so all the Turn users, around. all the listeners can see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, can see. There you go. Right. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> about 10 years ago, I dropped a $1 bill between the two, the two yeah. uh, studios. And today I put in a five euro. It's hanging from the top for Carl. Oh, is that what that is? That's what that oh. is, sucker. Fuck <laughs> you, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Keep inviting me back. You won't be able to see through, man. Yeah, if we're only 10 more shows away from you not having a window. That's right. I'll All reach right. you to get it. You look upset. I'll take it out. All right. We have a lot of stuff to cover. So uh, just to introduce Mark Miller, he is, uh, I'm not sure exactly what your title is, uh, Chief Technology Chief. Officer in charge of Development Tools. Chief Archit Chief. Chief scientist, chief architect, chief. Uh, in at the uh, ID Tools okay. department uh, at DevExpress. At DevExpress, right? So I contacted you because you're in the area. You thought you would stop by, and we thought we would do a show on thinking way outside the box. So way our, outside the box. orthogonal thinking at its best, and and uh, you've got a list of things that you want to tell us about here. So I'm really curious to know what's going on. Well, I, you know, it had occurred to me like days ago as I was, you know, we were talking about getting together, um, that I, I kind of am uniquely qualified, at least among the folks I know, uh, to, to talk about this, uh, this idea of, of creating what I, building the impossible, right? Yeah. Creating something that everybody in the moment in the room says, okay, not possible. That's too crazy. Let's not even try, right? Yeah. And how how to get from that point and go beyond it? And I thought it might be useful to the listeners because, uh, as a listener, you, you might not be somebody who's like, "Let's build the impossible," but you might be on the vector. You might be trying to do a breakthrough, some sort of breakthrough user interface, for example. Um, right. And and uh, and I thought this might be useful because I've done this again and again, and there's kind of a pattern that I'm recognizing in in doing this. And I thought, oh. Let's talk about the pattern and uh, and what's there and the kind of things that are the challenges in this. So and hopefully maybe I can help you know the listeners. Right. Uh, so some, if somebody's feeling stuck at work or just in a rut and uh, or just you know wants to wants to jump into something new but doesn't really know what, this might be a good episode to listen to. Yeah, or if they have an idea for something better. And they're having trouble getting buy-in. This might be a good episode to listen to as well. I think. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what you got? Well, I, you know, I think the first thing is uh, I, I sent, by the way, some links to you guys on there. Okay. And one of the ones that I that I thought I loved, kind of an example. I thought a great introductory example to orthogonal thinking. It's something that I think you know some of us have actually experienced, and that's creating a crossbow from office or school supplies. There you go. Right. Hmm. We weaponizing your school experience. Exactly. Right. And so it's, it's yeah, which is funny everywhere except the United States. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, and it's, in other words, we're taking something that has a design in one direction and we're taking a like, 90 degree turn orthogonal thinking. Right. And we're coming up with a, a different use case, a different use for it. Um, and so I, I, I thought that would be a kind of a good one to, to start off with. Um, so you realize you are MacGyver, right? Mm. I guess so. There's a little bit of that, I suppose. There's in this, a little right? MacGyver. There's, there's a little bit of that. Um, but there's also like focus and awareness of the big picture as well, the meticulous yeah. details that put it all together. Because often when you're going to try something brand new, um, there's not only are, do you have to worry about buy-in from, from peers and maybe supervisors, but, but likely you're going to run into, to real challenges along the way. Right. Right. So like, you know, at the beginning we, we, or actually, you know what, let me talk about, I want to talk about Elon Musk for a second. Cause okay, that, sure. mm -hmm. that guy, by the way, is, is the guy that I know that's way more qualified than me to do this talk. Yeah. Right. Because that guy can land rockets on their butts, 
right? That, right? <laughs> Which seems unlikely. Just an unlikely thing to do. Yeah. I know for a fact that he doesn't like it when you take all the potatoes on Mars and make shoestring deep-fried potatoes that you cooked in the rocket fuel. So I, I think we're going to get you a link to that, kids. I don't know. Kids, <laughs> so you understand what that's all did about. I, did I mention Mondays is back, kids? Mondays <laughs> is back. Carl! Um, yeah. So Elon Musk, you know, is, uh, from my perspective is, and, and the things he does like epitomizes this, right? It's what, what can you do when the leader essentially says, Hey, let's do something really kind of crazy. And then you apply lots of intellect and resources and, and skill. Or we have a crazy goal, like, for example, you know, cutting, uh, global warming, uh, you know, conditions uh, or uh, sea level rise by a certain number of centimeters seems like an impossible goal. Yeah. And, you know, or putting a man on the moon or a woman on the moon or whatever. Just uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. The other thing is everything seems impossible until you get past that point. Yeah. Right. Where it's where it's not only working, but believable as as uh, it's believable as as it's real, as if it were real. In other words, in other words, this idea of, for example, I'm driving in my car and I'd love to have the view, essentially the view of a, a, uh, of like a drone flying behind me, looking down right. on my car. Or, or like, or a video game. I mean, that's the position you played pole position from, right? Right. Exactly. I want that view while I'm driving. Well, a couple of years ago, that seemed impossible, right? And then as we move forward, we kind of take steps forward in this. Uh, we get to a point where we actually start seeing it. For example, Tesla started introducing something like this around 2019. Mm -hmm. um, I sent you guys a link to that as well. Mm -hmm. Early implementation of Tesla's top-down driving view from 2019. Yeah, what's interesting about this link, are you going to insert that into the... Yeah, I'm putting them in as we go. Okay, great. Yep. So what's interesting about this is when you look at it, it's a little janky at first. The cars are kind of jumping around, and it's not quite what I would describe as as feeling real because cars don't oh, yeah. jump jump around like this right but it's eventually you know two years since it's been improved dramatically and you can sit so, in it yeah I, I just wanted to describe what i'm seeing here for people who are just listening it, it's as if you had a drone um above and a little bit behind your car and you're you're watching a sort of an animated version of your car and the cars around you is that a yeah. good exp explanation right yeah and if you drive in a tesla one of the remarkable things is in this is interface you see uh you see the traffic lights you see the stop signs and the lines where the car needs to stop these are yeah. highlighted as they come by it's become in my opinion a really useful interface in yeah. fact for for me the most mind-blowing things i've seen on this are individual traffic cones identified and highlighted, emphasized? Yeah. Um, so is the Tesla using lidar for that, or is no. it just no, really optical only? Yeah, it's only optical. They got wow. rid of they got rid of their radar. I think a couple of years ago they said we're going to go only optical now. So it's a wow. it's the whole thing is incredible, right? What yeah. they're doing, and if you if you look closely at at, at what at, at at the organization and 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 uh, and how they're doing this, I think one of the things that really stands out as critical um, when you're going to when you have a lot of technical challenges is a heavy reliance on feedback on good data mm -hmm. coming back from mm -hmm. the field. Right from whatever's mm -hmm. out there, I think it's an essential uh, ingredient. If you, like I said, if you've got technical challenges, you've got to jump across. Right. Um, the if we, if we w one of the examples you were talking about at the beginning is reorder parameters, yeah, right? Yeah. And reorder parameters is uh, is interesting because it kind of illustrates uh, kind of a step you need before buy-in. Well, before you before you say that, we should just maybe give a quick. Uh, overview of what reorder parameters is. It's a refactoring, isn't it? Right. It's a refactoring that's in Code Rush. And when it first came out, it kind of blew people's minds because there was no modal dialogue that came up. Right. What happened instead is uh, we kind of shifted Visual Studio. Visual Studio became the UI. 
and uh, the parameter that was selected was highlighted, and there was a little arrow showing which way you could move it, and you hit the arrow keys in that direction, and there would be animation to kind of swap parameter positions as you got the parameters the way you wanted to. Right. And and you could hit the tab and shift tab to select a different parameter and just arrow keys. So it was incredibly fast to reorder parameters, and then you hit enter to apply. And there was, like I say, no modal dialogue. Right. So when it first came out, it kind of blew people's minds. And it was like a little bit, you know, sometimes people laughed and they were like, this is crazy. Right. But but each component of that was essentially what I call supported by the math or supported by calculations. In other words, before I went to to get buy in for that feature, I realized that it was going to be faster and easier than a modal it was going to be faster and easier than a modal dialogue. It was yeah, yeah. You're not bumping them out of their workflow. They're still in their workflow. Right. In fact, you're it's, visually doing exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. In fact, by the way, when I use reorder parameters, and I think this is probably true for most people, it's like I'm not even thinking of the UI. I'm just going in, yeah. boom, 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 and I'm done. Right, like that. Yeah. And it's like it's it's essentially that quick to do it, which is the purpose, the goal of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I got the buy-in, I looked at the math and the math is essentially telling me, well, look, putting up modal dialogues is bad, right? right. Keeping the UI down in the code is good. I, yeah. I preserve the user model. I preserve what they're familiar with, that familiarity. Also, it's dr- driving the whole thing from keyboard shortcuts like and simple ones to hit, like right. arrow keys uh, and tab and shift tab also is provably more efficient than you know, complex shortcut keys, Definitely. for example, or grab, re- taking your hands off the keyboard and reaching for the mouse also. So yeah. you, you essentially can go after, you can get your proof in advance that the direction is the right direction in essentially two ways. One is, uh, essentially through calculated predictions, like I'm talking about for reorder parameters. Another one is like statistics. For example, everyone wants to ride a hoverboard, at least everyone who's seen Back to the Future, right? Yeah, Everybody. Yeah. The statistics support it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the problem is, is that, you know, while the statistical data is there, friction is not. And mm. so if you lift a board up off the ground into the air, you don't have friction. So to make a tight turn, you need an incredible amount of energy. So the complexity of solving the problem just goes way up, right? So you, so you need kind of a path way through. You need. Are you saying that- you invented a hoverboard? No, I'm not saying that. Because <laughs> I want one. Go to markmillerhoverboards.com, kids. Put your down payment in now. I'm working on it. So, um, so there's, there's this, this kind of getting things supported by the math before you go. And often what happens is there's this inception idea. There's an idea that re- where you realize, oh, I could be on an alternate timeline if I just stepped over a little bit. I could do it this way. Right. And with reorder parameters, the idea was I could animate the code. I could create the UI, make it flat right there so you don't leave the code. And that was the idea that led to reorder parameters. I have an actual, uh, an idea of thinking outside the box that I haven't, it hasn't come to fruition yet, but the idea is pretty sound. And that was, you know, during the early days of the pandemic, people really desperately wanted to play and sing together or even just like sing happy birthday together. And it's just impossible if you know, you know, that that there's delays and delays get compounded and all of that stuff. It goes back to that uh, to that call that I had with uh, a rock star who wanted to do it live on the Internet. And um, but what you can do is take a round robin approach. So you start with one person who plays a track, whether it's a drum track or a track you can all play to or something like that. And that gets sent to the first person. And the first person in the chain hears that and records what they're going to record along with it. And then somehow those two things sync up and turn into a stream that goes live to the next person in the chain. And they hear those two things. And they add what they're doing. Everybody's recording to an individual track at the same time, but out of sync, out of time. And then, you know, so basically you can go and go and go, and the last person in the chain hears everything, right? But you can kind of work it out to where where it's going to work. And uh, while I haven't got the math right and I haven't got the delays, the numbers correct, and how to figure that out, I do have the, the fundamental part of it working. But 
that was just an interesting idea that, you know, okay, the laws of physics prevent me from doing this in real time. How can we sort of use time to our advantage and, uh, you know, and maybe put some constraints on what people are going to be able to do and what their expectations might be. But in the end, we can get what we want. Yeah, I love it. Right. Instead of thinking of time as happening all right now, you're essentially dividing it up and moving it across. Right. That's exactly the kind of thinking that these kinds of steps require. Are you going to talk about writing code with a guitar? We can do that. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, you know, that's something that we created. I think I want to say like what about 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it was it, also orthogonal thinking in it, right? How can we do this, make this work? One of the pieces I, I, I said it at the time and I still remember it. That's remarkable to me is navigation and selection were easier for me on the guitar than they were on the keyboard. Now, when you say a guitar, you're using a rock band guitar or something. Right. It's a rock band guitar, so it's got, instead of strumming, it's got buttons on the frets. I guess that's called the fret, right? The, or the, what is yeah, that yeah. called? Yeah, on the fretboard. Yeah, the fretboard. And then it's got, uh, like, essentially a button, a flat button that instead of, you kind of strum it. You can push it down or up. Right. And and that's what I was using. And uh, and I still remember it. I was thinking about it like, I was thinking about it this morning. I was thinking, oh, yeah. I, you know, and although I was kicking myself because I got it wrong, I was like, I almost had it right. But the way I was doing it, if I want to move up or down, I just, you know, pull the fret bar or the bar up or I thumb it down, right? Thumb yeah. it down. If I want to select, I would hit the blue, uh, the blue uh, button uh, right. to select. And if I wanted to jump by larger groups, like from method to method, I hit a different button while I strummed. Uh, and if I wanted to go left or right, I would hit, I would hit a different, I would, uh, hit a, uh, the top, uh, essentially string, but it wasn't right. strings, I think, right? right, right I would hit right. the top one, top one to shift, uh, from vertical to horizontal, but I blew it because what I should have done is I should have just lifted the guitar up vertically. Oh, because at, that's another control. Yeah, then it, yeah, and it would have aligned the left right. It would have been perfect, and I didn't right. do it. But <laughs> so but map even, the right controllers, kids. That's what. It, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going back to the guitar. I'm going to fix it. But it was it was better. It was so much better because um it was as the the buttons went down, uh got lower, further away from my head. The distance yeah. went further uh in terms of how far it would move. And I could also hold another, I, I think I said this, I could hold the blue one down for selection so I could get a selection uh, and I could select by methods. I could select, I could do move left or right by camel case right. words, uh, select them, all of that. So the selection was great on there, but I could never get that same experience when I went back to the keyboard. Uh, it was kind of interesting though. Right, this idea that I that I do that. I always thought of these as novelty interfaces. So I love when you have this moment where it's like I'm playing with a silly thing. I'm only vaguely experienced with it, but there were parts of it that were smoother than yeah. the interface you've used for decades. No, I know it's made me think about how to fix the keyboard. Right. right. In other words, I need kind of multipliers next to the arrow keys. Is what I feel like I need with indicator lights saying which one is kind of there. I feel like there's something there's there's something to that experience and certainly if I was going to control it with my mind that's how I would be doing it. In other words, I would be thinking up or down, but I'd also be having a separate multiplier that I'd be kind of engaging at the, as in that moment. That's right. how I want to do that. Thinking of the emotive headset. Yeah. So reads brainwaves, yeah. Two more things I want to try to squeeze in if we can before we get out of here. One of them mm -hmm. is uh, Im embedded images inside of source code. This was also a super kind of crazy idea, right? The idea that I can go anywhere, copy an image, and paste it in a comment, and it's there. And what's what's interesting about that is that as we – this is actually something I've wanted to do for probably 30 years like I want to say 30 years ago, I created some technology for putting in object linking and embedding inside of a comment. And it was horribly implemented. When when <laughs> Well, Olay was horribly implemented, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I I multiplied that at least by two because the how was I going to store it, right? You've got two choices for storing data that's bigger, you know, than a than a comment. It's a, either external or you've got to it, you know, embed it, encode it. And I chose to essentially encode it. So I would have single line comments that were 32,000 lines or 32,000 characters long. So it your 10K <laughs> CS file now turns into like 
Yeah. 10 megabytes. It was ridiculous, right? And similarly, linking externally is problematic. How do you keep things in sync? Yeah. So the other problem is, is the the image that was in there, even though I did get it to draw inside of whatever came before Visual Studio, I'm not sure if it was just Visual Studio, but it was something around that time, 1990-ish time frame. Well, I mean, 91 is VB. Yeah. But weren't you a Delphi guy back then? Yeah, but it was this was the Visual, this was the C++ team I was okay. showing this to. Okay. Visual so, C++ then. Yeah, so that's what that was. So uh, anyway, you could put them in, but I got them to draw, but they drew over lines below them. So you had to go uh, in and add empty lines. It was horrible. It was horrible. Don't do okay, this. Right? right? <laughs> it was horrible. But for 30 years, I've, I've been thinking, we've seen advances in every single document format, really, except for source code. And I've been thinking, yeah. how, do we, how do we make this happen? Um, and about 10 years ago, the Visual Studio team was sat down and was sitting down and talking to me and Dustin Campbell. And this is when Dustin Campbell was working for DevExpress. And the Visual Studio team said, hey, what can we do for you guys? Anything we can do to help you out? And I said, give me variable line height. Give me variable line height so I can programmatically determine the line height. Because I want to do image embedding in Visual Studio. Yeah. Right? And they're like, okay. And they gave it to us <laughs> in like about a year or two. <laughs> right? But still, that's nine that's years awesome. ago. That's awesome. That's like eight years ago, though. But but there still were some problems, right? I d didn't have a solution to the external storage because you've got all kinds of use case problems. Like what happens if I paste, I copy some code that's got an image in it, paste it somewhere else? Am I going to double up my images down on the on the hard disk or wherever right. you know in the project, or yeah. am I going to be able to detect that and not do that? What happens if I make a change to the image that I put in? I've edited the image. I find out where it's stored on disk and I make a change to it. Am I going to see that everywhere? Right? right. What about version control? Right. And it Clipboard wasn't access. It, what'd you say? Clipboard access too. Can you copy sure. it, paste it? Yeah. 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 At any rate. So, so this all, this is like the difference between. So we start working on it and, and, or, or, or we get to the point where I get that inception idea where I'm like, Oh, if we stored the image at under the file inside, inside the project, inside the solution folder. Inside a subfolder of where the code rush settings, the local, yeah. the local settings for the local solution would be stored, optionally stored. We put it a folder in there. We put it in there. That means they can easily check it in and out of version control. If we give it a file name that is the CRC of the image, then we can now quickly identify if an image is there or not nice, already right. there and use it. If we give them an entry point access, uh, to the feature of simply pasting inside a comment. In other words, you just copy, get a, get an image from anywhere on the clipboard and then hit control V to paste. Then we can paste it in, right? That's our access point. We intercept the paste and we, we save the file out into the solution and we draw the image. We set yeah. the line height automatically using the feature visual studio team give us us, right? We're getting closer, right? So we get closer and we do it, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, we have to exactly emulate the UI in Office for images. We have to be able to crop and resize just like they do. With yeah, it. right. And you have to be able to click on it because it didn't feel real yet, right, at this point. It wasn't until we yeah. could click on it, resize, and crop it that all of a sudden we, we transition from janky to it feels like the image is actually in the file, even though the yeah, entire part of the part of the source code. Yeah, it even looks the, that way. Even though the my favorite version of this is the one with the with the mathematical formula. Yeah, and then the code that actually the, how you would render that formula as code is below it. Right. Like you talk about a comment that actually helps you. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like that's what this is actually expressing. It's very profound. It is you know, cool. I I use this. My use cases for embedded comments fall into a, uh, a couple categories. One is temporary. So I'm working. I've got a problem. I take a screenshot. I paste it in the code. I, I maybe take another screenshot, paste it in the code. It's just kind of my to-do list in the code of what I got to go after. Right. Um, the other really big use for me is actually in test cases. In test cases, you often have a situation where you're testing data that's hard to visualize, like stock yep. prices, for example, or, um, or, or, uh, I, I recently on my, on my show at, oh, here, let me plug it, twitch.tv slash code rushed. 
with an ED at the end, code rushed. Um, on that show, uh, we recently created some very cool technology. Oh my gosh, I got to get you the link for this too. Um, this technology is, uh, uh, for animating, uh, live video feeds in a, in a, uh, in a live stream in sync to some layered special effects that are in front of you and behind you. And to make that work, we created essentially a system that would, uh, analyze a bunch of PNGs, one for each frame, find out where the circles are on that and how, how the arrangement of three circles has been rotated, scaled, flipped, or faded out. And then we use that to drive the live video feed. And so the test cases all consist of essentially, well, now I got to test, does it match a rotation of 87.7 degrees? And I, right. and I have an image of the markers rotated right above the test case. So I can look at the image above the test case. I can then more, I'm faster now into reading right. that test case. Um, so those are like the two biggest use cases for me, right? That's awesome. And guys, I got a break for this very important message. You know, time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customers peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage-based plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. You know, time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified, with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customers peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage-based plans start from as little as $4 per month, with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. And we're back. It's Don at Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Yo. Hey, and my buddy Mark Miller's here as well. Those two are in the studio. I'm on the other side of the continent. But that wouldn't hold us back. <laughs> uh, no. This, you know, you, you keep forgetting all the cool stuff that's in Code Rush. And all the, the, th the problem, Mark, is when you do your job perfectly, like with this image handling things, they just disappear. Like it, they work so well, you stop thinking about them. Right. Like yeah, you actually have to step back and realize how amazing that is. Yeah, we're in a different timeline. If you look at every single major accomplishment that's happened, it's essentially a move by someone who said, "Okay, let's get to a different timeline." Yeah, when Elon landed the rock on his tail the first few times, we were always like, "That's impossible!" What I've just seen. Yeah. Now he's done it a hundred times, and it is mundane. I still get excited. I'm like, it, I do. It's too, incredible. Admittedly. It's a, yeah. it's some serious rocket science. You, you right? know what's, you know what's dull? It's Crew Dragon. Crew Dragon's <laughs> a bus. It does its job. Yeah. Four guys get in, or right, you know, and they, and and you know, 24 hours later, they're at the station. Yeah, and that's it's a it. bus. It's a slow bus. Takes a long time to get the get to your destination. Yeah, Mark, it's true. I'm looking at your OBS camera feed animation in C sharp, and that is just so. So ridiculously cool. It looks like you use this on Dragon Humpers. Is that right? 
No, no, no. It's on uh, it's on twitch.tv slash code rushed. Oh, code what, rushed. But you yeah. have like like Fred is in the bottom, isn't he? Your, yeah, like... Fr- Fred is there because he was supposed to be removed. And he's actually my co-host on the Code Rushed show. Oh, but he, okay. he's also on the other show as well. But, so in case people don't know, you have a D&D crazy graphics show called Dragon Humpers on Twitch, right? Yeah, that's right as well. But that is, we are in kind of hiatus till the end of the year. So we're, okay. you know, just, uh, so we'll be probably coming back in uh, January for that. All right. So Code Rushed. Yeah, Code Rushed. Yeah, that link to what you just saw, let's make sure the listeners can see that too. Oh, that's amazing. By the way, we're, so we, so one of the things you do, right, as you getting close, right, you get a breakthrough, is you look at the breakthrough, you kind of go into your zen-like state, and you kind of feel it, and then you try to crank up the precision on it. You try to crank things up on it. And one of the things we're going to do for that link that that uh, that Carl's talking about, actually, do you want to tell him, do you want me to tell him a little about what you're watching? Yeah, tell him. At one point, there's a, like a drone that comes up from the ground and essentially picks me up and I fly with the drone as it's moving around the screen. Um, it's just animating the video feed in sync to the playing of the, the playback when I switch to OB, that scene in OBS. But the cranking to the next level that we're going to take this thing to, we're actually working on it this week, uh, in, uh, uh, on the show is we are, uh, an- now animating LED lights colored led lights so when an explosion goes off near my face the light from the explosion will in real time will hit my video feed wow yeah it's just an amazing little uh video bit it looks like you're watching a video game but you are really generating all that in obs in real time i mean you've got mario you've got a race car you in real time you're in a video game (laughs) yeah it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, it's, by the way, this is cool too. Imagine if you built your video game with the ability to bring in a streamer live. So now your big right. video game streamers could actually be on top of the mech, right? In the game and you could see their live video while they're playing. It's not hard to do. The whole thing, you could totally do this. All right. So I think we should rename this uh, show because right now the people who are hoping for a little inspiration are going, oh, fuck, I can't do that. Yeah, we should call this Mark Miller's genius product. <laughs> okay. Products. I, I would also argue, because I've watched you develop that. I've chopped in a code rushed occasionally and watched it. Like, you've put a lot of hours into that, too. Sure. Like, there's oh, yeah. nothing small there. This is effort. Yeah, we've, we've been working, you know, and a lot of times we were hacking. We were, like, hacking into things. Like, even the LED lights, there's no documentation, no SDK. We are just hacking in, figuring out, learning Bluetooth, trying to make the whole thing work. Yeah, is there a way to do this? But it's just that willingness to explore. It's like, I know where I want to get to now. You know, what would I have to do to make that happen? Yeah, let me, by the way, go ahead. Go ahead, bud. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, one of the big lessons I've learned on the show is don't be afraid to run away fast if the path you're taking isn't working, right? It's a a combination of just relentlessly knocking at the door, trying trying a different angle, going after it. And if you once you've realized that every way doesn't work in this particular path, don't be afraid to back up like crazy fast to the last point and then try another try another way in. I think the backup part is easy. It's the trying another that most people struggle with. Mm. It is super easy to go, well, this was wrong. I have failed. It's much harder to go, okay, let's try something completely else. Because you've put a lot of energy into a path. Like to abandon that path and think of a new one. Yeah. That's not easy, well, friend. You know, like that, I'm getting better at it. You have to do it because you're doing a live show, right? In other right. words, you, you, me, me st- sitting there thinking, I wonder what I'm going to do, is not entertaining. But yeah, me, right. me hitting into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and I think that's entertaining to some degree, right? Let's, <laughs> well, it is for us. I don't know if it is for you. Yeah. yeah. But are you are you telling me that the live aspect of Twitch is influencing your creativity? It's making me faster. Instead of taking a break and walking away and then coming back, right. I'm like scrambling for a different approach if something doesn't work. Right. What is it? What can we try? What can we try? Sometimes the chat room helps out. Right. Sometimes we get great suggestions from the chat room and I'm like, oh, you saved us. You know, whoever that person is. Right. Yeah. You'd be one of the having the audience interact with you. I mean, definitely introducing other ideas. Yeah. 
There's one last essential point I want to say, you know, thinking way outside the box, building impossible things, right? Right. And I've said this before on regular features, but this super applies in this world when you say, okay, I'm going to now create something brand new, which typically applies a brand new interface, right? And that is you have to leave room for discoverability. Discoverability of your feature by the user, right? Discovering mm-hmm. how to use it. It's incredibly important, incredibly essential because you're creating something completely brand new. You can drop the cost of that down if you emulate another user model like we did with the um, pasting images inside of Visual Studio, right? It looks just like an office resize. I can I see, oh, I've got the office resize handles. I've got the office cropping handles. Right, I know what right. to do, right? So I can reduce that a little bit. But you really, really need to be thinking about it. Now, the cool thing, the, the additional piece that I'm going to augment my advice on discoverability with is this. And that is that initially, because you're kind of cutting edge, you can cut corners on discoverability. In other words, you don't necessarily have to plan for to implement, you know, like whatever, uh, a you know, like sometimes Visual Studio uses the yellow bar or the brown bar in 2022 that right. says that says uh, here's what's going on, you know, click here or something. You don't have to implement that kind of discoverability at first because when you first put this out. Uh, your early adopters are going to seek out whatever discoverability you have. So right, be it right. blog posts, videos, emails, whatever, something like that, a readme file, they will seek it out. So you can cut corners initially by providing it in a cheaper way. But ultimately, I strongly believe that discoverability has got to be inside the app. It's got to be close proximity in both time and space to your interface that you're presenting. Well, it comes back to one of the principles of good design, which is... You want to go to a website and be able to answer the question. The website should answer the question, what is this, right away. Yeah. Right away. And uh, I've since uh, consulted with many, many people just on that simple design fact alone. Like, it, it took me five or ten minutes to figure out the big picture, what I'm even looking at. And by then, most people are gone. Yeah. So Yeah, you've got seconds to retain someone if, if it's yeah. new. I have... One last thing I thought I would do, mm-hmm. do that I thought you guys might find fun. I was like, because I was sitting here and I was thinking about impossible things and I was thinking about the overhead view, how today right. that's kind of, we're accustomed to it, but it was impossible a couple of years ago. And I was like, wait, did I send Elon Musk a tweet telling him to do this? <laughs> and I searched it out and I sure enough, I did. In fact, what's awesome is I almost totally specced it out. Like I got one thing essentially different. Um, you, you, you'll give them that link, I think, or that link's going to be at the, the, uh, available. Yeah, yeah. So it, I said, I keep thinking about a quote, simulated overhead view of my car and the surrounding road and vehicles showing my model and color and other cars in their colors as well. All calculated by the side cameras. By the way, that lot part right there, all calculated by the sign, by the side cameras. That's your yeah. entry point to the orthogonal step into the alternate timeline. In other yeah. words, we can do it. There's a way to do it, right? right? Useful in navigation, parking, and faster check for safe lane changes. So now I'm also, in this part, I'm I'm giving you the incentive, right? Here's the goal, the benefit from this. Right. Um, the only thing I got wrong here is I said the other cars in their colors as well. What they ended up doing is they ended up saying saturation is going to be one of our channels for communication. Yeah. And they did a great job of it. So, so it makes they sense. they scaled out all the other cars and yours is red. Exactly. And I th- yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm yeah, okay with works. that. Yeah, it works. It's great. I, I think in general, like I say, really impressed with the whole thing. But it's like that's kind of the ingredients. The ingredients of building the impossible, right? It's inception, you know, figuring out a way to do it. It's getting buy-in. It's perseverance, Right. Even if people don't buy, other people don't buy in. Sometimes you can do the kind of the need to know on that, by the way. Right. You can be like, well, you know what? You work for me, so you got to do it anyway, even though you don't believe in it. Right. Or you can get buy in, you know, the other way. You can say, here's what it's going to be like. The last one I'll talk about is another crazy idea. And let me give you the, the, the temporal context to okay. the idea. The temporal context is that Code Rush sits inside Visual Studio. And over the last, you know, since what, 2003, since we've been inside Visual Studio, Visual Studio 
Kodosh has invented features and bound shortcuts to them. And Visual Studio has come along and said, hey, we got a new feature and here's our shortcut, right. which and like a bully asking for our lunch money. And then, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we t- they take our shortcut, okay? And they've been doing this for years. Right? right over time, right? So we'll, we, there's still two shortcuts in Code Rush or, or maybe total four, but they're all related. And I'm like, you guys are going to get a visit from me if you take those four because they are like, they are <laughs> I in I know great. where you live. Yeah. I'll find I you. I will come find you. <laughs> Building 18. I know where you guys are unless you moved. <laughs> but, but so that's the temporal context. How do we solve it? How do we stake some real estate on the keyboard? Right. Right. And the answer comes in the form of caps lock as a modifier. Interesting. So it's just like control or shift or alt, right? Or the windows key, right? So what if we could make that work? Right. And we start going down that approach. Now, this is an approach where I had no buy-in. No one, no one believed that this was going to be uh, a killer feature. Let's put it that way. Okay. And I'm like, that's okay. Keep going. We're going to keep doing this. Right. And because I knew and I, I didn't have all the proof. I had some of the proof, but I, I had enough that I was like, I'm going to go with it and say, it's kind of like following your intuition. I'm going to go down the path. And along the way, we're like, okay, well, how are we going to enable caps lock if you want to actually toggle it in Visual Studio? And we went through a lot of different options and ultimately we settled on a double tap. Now, discoverability. How do we let people know what's going on? Well, a couple ways. But one of the things that happens is when you double tap caps lock, we'll put a toast up that says, you've just switched. Caps lock is now engaged. And if you double tap it again, we'll put up another toast and we'll play a sound in both cases. But also, we'll detect for struggling caps lock. So if you're like hitting the caps lock key and then waiting a little bit and you're hitting it again, you're not quite doing the double tap. We'll say, you know, something to the effect of, you know, we'll, we'll let you know what's going on. Caps lock is good or not. We also so sensitive to the fact that people aren't being able to do the double tap close enough. It's like, right. You, 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 you have hit it twice. It's not quite fast enough. So I'm listening. Yeah, I'm with you. You're trying to do something, right? Well, the, the, I love this idea of metricing, of measuring frustration levels. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important, right? Also checking undos, right? That sort of thing. It's it's coupled with it. Although what to do about it is another thing. Now that we know you're frustrated, what can we do? Yes. No, you're right. Yeah. Well, I think we just sent a send a an email to the managers. We're screwed. We're screwed. <laughs> and just soft music starts playing, flowers start falling on the screen. Yeah. It's like you're gonna be okay, everything's fine. No, it's you're gonna fine. be all right. So next discoverability. We we decide to ship it disabled. But we have a setup wizard and we put it on the first page of the setup wizard. We've got artists designing a, a description of, you know, a, a picture for the feature. We basically say, Hey, go for this. Then we create a code rush learning solution. Right. And the learning solution has got a bunch of lessons in it teaching you the new caps lock keys. Okay. And it uses embedded images as buttons so that you can quickly open up a lesson. And nice. what's crazy about Visual Studio is it's kind of like a browser. If I use a button to open a file and I close the file, I'm taken right back to where I was in the previous file. It's perfect. So initially with Caps Lock, what I was imagining I was going to do is I was going to hit Caps F, for example, as in Franklin's, and I was going to then be presented. I was going to be able to access every single refactoring that started with the letter F, right? Like declare a field, for example. Right. Right. Or promote a variable to a field Um, or move type to file. Right. That sort of thing. And I was just thinking easier, easier access. But one of the things I started noticing as I and this was the part I hadn't calculated out is that the context for a number of the refactorings that start with the exact same letter was the same. And so when I would hit control F or caps F, I would get a menu to disambiguate so I could disambiguate. And I was going to put my head down for a second. I was like, this is not the experience I was imagining, right? right? But I'm following my intuition. Yeah. I go back and I look at the refactorings again, and this time I sort them by essentially functionally what they're doing, right? And I noticed a, a large degree, a large percentage of the refactorings are essentially toggling from one state to another, right? Um, for example, changing a var keyword to an explicit type 
Right. We're changing an explicit type back to a bar keyword. Sure. Right? That's one example, right? And I was thinking, oh, well, we've got this beautiful new key that we can press that nobody else is going to take from us because nobody's going to implement this crazy idea, right, for a while. Right. Uh, and it's called cap space. And space is already used. The space bar is used to toggle things, right? So we go and find about 30 refactorings that are all have distinct availabilities, availabilities in different places, and we bind them to the single binding cap space. And so now all you have to do is remember, if I want to toggle something from one state to another, like take a method, a normal bodied method, and turn it into an expression body method, yeah. it's just cap space. Right. Wow. If I want to take uh, a a uh, a conditional statement and turn it into a ternary expression, it's cap space. If I want to take a temporary variable and inline it, it's cap space. It's the same key again and again, and no nice. menu, and it just works. And when we got to that point, that's when I had buy-in from everybody. Everybody was like, you know, okay, yeah, we made it. You know, we did it. Yeah, you did it. I just wanted to thank you very much for sharing uh, your thoughts and and i swear to god we should call this mark miller is a freaking genius because uh this is amazing <laughs> stuff uh, i want to be more helpful i want to be more <laughs> helpful than that carl okay all right thanks again and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.